0: You're listening to a Cripple and Co-Production.
1: This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and ClonaPussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. your own Clone-A-Willie or Clone-A-Pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willie or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own Clone-A-Willie or Clone-A-Pussy kit right now, head over to clone and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bumpin' Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com. That's com. And you can pre order your very own bump and joystick right now, or you can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now! Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends! This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker owned co op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm here with my friend Kristen, who's a friend of the show, and you've heard her on the show before. But did you know she's also a counselor in training with a physical disability? Hey Kristen, can you tell us more about that?
2: Hey Andrew, I sure can. Um, I've been working as a peer support counselor for about seven years now and I'm now expanding my services offering trauma-informed accessible support to community members. Uh, some of the things I cover are anxiety, depression, grief, relationship issues and all from a disability-centered standpoint.
1: I I love that so much, and I love that we're finally talking about offering disability-centered counseling to other disabled folks, because it's so rarely in the field, and I'm so glad you're doing that. And so I wonder, Kristen, are you offering these services to, oh, I don't know, listeners of a particular podcast on this particular ad right now?
2: Absolutely, Andrew. I'm offering accessible services to listeners of this podcast, and anyone else who's interested in contacting me.
1: And you're, she's also doing that. Not. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. also doing it whether you're disabled or not, which is totally great. So this service is for everyone. And I think what makes it unique is that even if you're not disabled, you can learn things from a disability-centered lens. And I think that's really important. Yes. So, Kristen, this is awesome. And this is so great. Can you tell us what your hours are like?
2: Sure. Right now, I'm able to offer pretty flexible availability to meet the needs of everyone. I know that um, sometimes having physical disabilities and just life being busy in general, it's hard to uh, make time for things like counseling. But I think it's really important. So um, when we touch base, hopefully we can work out a time that works for you.
1: That's awesome. Now, you know, you and I know from trying to get traditional counseling services in in the past, how often financially inaccessible they are. So what's the cost of all this great service?
2: Yeah, because I believe that uh, counseling should be accessible and affordable for everyone. My fee right now is a sliding scale starting at $20 per hour.
1: That is so, that's, that is. That's like basically cheaper than anything you can buy on Amazon right now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Pretty awesome. So I want everybody to know how they can get a hold of you and how they can how they can access your services because what you're offering is so important. How do people get a hold of you?
2: So right now the best way to reach me is through email. It's Kristen.williams10 at gmail.com. That's Kristen K R I S T E N. Dot Williams W I L L I A M S one Zero at Gmail.com
1: Amazing. I'll make sure also, Kristen, that all of this is in the show notes for the episode today.
2: Thank you so Thanks. much,
1: for, Thank you so much for being here and telling us what you do. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. Content warning, the language content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability,
2: sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your
1: deliciously disabled host, Disability Awareness Consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. Welcome to Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month. Hello, March. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the month where we celebrate cerebral palsy and bring awareness to it. Hello to all my fellow friends with cerebral palsy. Let's get comfy, cozy, crippled, and cerebral palsied and get this show started, shall we? Also, because it is Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, if you know somebody with cerebral palsy in your life, you are required to stop whatever you're doing right now and give the person with cerebral palsy in your life $200. That's just the rules. That's just what you have to do. So if you know anybody with CP, please Venmo or Cash App or PayPal them, $200. Or more if you want to. It's up to you. I don't make the rules. But you have to give them money. That's that's what the rule is. So get on that, friends. But uh, now let's get on to the show. On the show today, I'm bringing an interview that I recorded last summer with someone that I just loved chatting with. It was such a fun interview fucking interview to sit down with this person and i listened back to it just now and i laughed my fucking head off this is one of the queerest most crippled most gay interviews that i've ever done on this show and it's one of my favorites and my guest today is david edelman who is a phd student in texas i think at the university of texas could be wrong don't quite remember. He says so in the interview. Um, but we talk about his experience of queerness, disability, kink. Um, he talks to us about the perils of bottoming when you have a disability and what what that's like. And just, we get into some really, really sexy territory. We also make some... We, well, there is a little bit of off-color humor in this one, so I just want to give you a fair... Content warning for that, if you're listening, there is some off-color humor in this one, so be be, be warned. But it is quite, um, it was quite fun, it was quite honest, and it was quite real. And I love sitting down with David in June of last year to have this interview, and I'm so sorry that it took so long for me to release it. But I thought to christen Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, as David has Cerebral Palsy, we should feature him. So I'm really excited for you to hear this one. This one is is going to be called a, char- a charcuterie board of crippled options, um, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so stay tuned, get ready for a really raunchy chat, and um, let's shine a light on that together today. So thanks for being here, and uh, get ready for a really raunchy, fun chat, right here on Disability After Dark. David Edelman, hello. Hi there. So nice to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today?
0: I'm doing well. It's exciting to finally be able to have this conversation. It feels like we've been going back and forth uh, forever. So yeah, really- we, we
1: have been dancing. <laughs> we have been dancing around the around the scheduling. That's one of the joys of running my own podcast is that I have to schedule everything, and I often forget things, and then disability gets in the way, and things are fun. Um, but glad you're here, glad we're finally doing it. Yay. Um, can you introduce yourself a little bit to the Disability After Dark audience?
0: Tell us who you are and what you do. So, I am uh, a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at Dallas. I, I write and think uh, and uh, live basically disability and desire and online communities and disability media and things of this nature. I'm interested in the capacious capacity, which I know is a doubling of words in the um, disabled body to create meaning that is um, revolutionary and deeply uh, pleasurable. I also on the side, I happen to have a uh, master's degree in media art. And so I make uh, experimental media films, usually short form factor, usually terribly, terribly gay and terribly, terribly uh, sexy. So, yes. Yeah. It's, it's so, so funny
1: because I had somebody on the show, or no, not on not the... I th- yeah, no, I think they were on the show. I had somebody on the show recently who said they were fabulously gay, and you have now said you're terribly gay. So I, I, I think that's, that's super funny. Uh, um, so, well, thank you very much for being here. And uh, let's dive right in to, to some of the questions that I wrote for you. So you said that you have, uh, you told, you've told me in the form that you have cerebral palsy. And we know that there are so many different variations on what cerebral palsy looks like and feels like and how it presents and all those things. But one of the things you wanted to share with us was what it was like growing up gay with cerebral palsy. And so I love this kind of stuff and I love going back into like disability stories and history like that. And so I wanted to hear from you all about your angsty gay teen years. Tell me what it was like to be an angsty teen as a, as a gay gimp.
0: Well, so a bit of context, because you'll find that I love context. So specifically, um, I have one of the more common flavors of uh, disability, spastic uh, diplegic. Uh, cerebral quality. For me, that means that I use a power a wheelchair. Um, functionally, these days, I am uh, non-ambulatory. I use a uh, sure hands lift to get in and out of bed. I have uh, aides that come in and, and help me. And I've always had uh, need a high level of assistance to function throughout the day. Me too, and me too. So ultimately, <laughs> What ends up, what that ends up meaning is that, you know, when you're a child with a disability, uh, at least in my experience, it's very much your uh, mother and father and family are sort of helping you and creating uh, this sort of uh, safety net around you. Yep. And then for quote unquote normal people, which by the way, I hate that word, but for people who are not disabled, they sort of Spread their wings and uh, do all kinds of interesting things outside of the family unit. Yeah, and so, when you're disabled, as I'm sure you know and you've talked about before, that transition can uh, often be delayed if it ever happens at all. Yep. And so, because for many of us, we end up being dependent on uh, family for our support um, network. Uh, and so for me, as I was growing up, you know, I'm negotiating what it means to uh, try to be independent um, and uh, deal with the fact that I have a disability and it's a significant disability and what independence looks like. And that's an anxiety producing factor in and of itself. And then yeah. to realize on top of that, there's this extra layer and flair and flavor that is uh, big. Uh, gay. And so for me, it was a dual sort of factor because I grew up in South Carolina. Um, I am not, none of my family is uh, originally from South Carolina. The only reason we ended up in South Carolina is because my father accepted a job there. And so um, we had no family, no extended support. And so it was all about trying to find a way for me to fit into the sort of Southern context. And so I learned very early on, for instance, that I could use language as a way to signify to people. But actually, you know, I have a physical disability, but there's nothing wrong with my brain, which I think a yeah. lot of us go through, uh, right? It's the the desire to appear uh, hyper, uh, uh, hyper... Hyper intelligent, yeah. yeah. hyper-competent or hyper-intelligent in order to compensate for having such a a big uh, physical disability. And so uh, that naturally sort of distances you from your peers. And then to discover that you are also gay and not interested in uh, girls and the kind of sort of uh, stereotypically, uh, masculinist stuff that uh, teenage boys go through—it's just an incredibly sort of isolating experience. Yeah. Although you would, perhaps you would, or perhaps you wouldn't, be surprised at the things that you hear when uh, people discount you because they they don't think that you're part of the conversation. So, for example, I when I was in high school, particularly. Um, I uh, w- would sort of fade into the background because, again, distance because of the chair and everything, which yeah. meant that I got to hear all kinds of, of lovely conversations with a bunch of teenage boys around the uh, lunch table. And uh, yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs>
0: you would be. Need- <laughs> surprised or perhaps not surprised at the amount of straight boys who are interested in uh able play. Um, at the- oh yeah no no no
1: I've uh, having fucked a few straight boys in my, in my time I'm not surprised in the least not surprised in the least yeah. um, and you know but I can imagine you know growing up and having to and I, I, well, I, I can do more than imagine I know growing up in those environments and trying to fit in and trying to be cool and trying to have friends and trying to do all that stuff while also being disabled and also being already an outcast of sorts in those like high school environments and then realizing you're super queer can be is really hard and I I, I went through that myself so I fully understand and can appreciate the the nuance of that and how hard it can be to to try to fit in and, and so but one of the I wanna I wanna I wanna go back to something you said a minute ago you said you know it's a fla- it's, it's a flavor so completely off the cuff question here but if you were to assign a flavor to your queerness
0: what what it tastes like? So I would go, I obviously can't say vanilla because I'm not vanilla by any means.
1: Oh, no, no. The first question on your questionnaire was
0: talking about disability kink, So I knew right away you were not vanilla. <laughs> I would, would go, um, go and say uh, that I describe myself more as a sort of uh, dark cherry vanilla. So it's easy <laughs> on the palate, tasty, and has many, many, many uh, layers to it. I like that. I was not
1: expecting that comparison, and I was not, I didn't even expect that question. So I'm really glad that you jumped right on there. Um, um, so, in what other ways was growing up with CP for you? Just do you have any other stories about growing up that
0: are, that you think are fun, relevant? Well, I, so for me, I, I think I'm awful, right? Like, because I'm getting older. Uh, i'm 31 uh this year oh please you're still a baby older come on <laughs> well no so for the years to thing that i so i relish every year that i i get older because that means that i've survived another year around uh the planet particularly because i'm based here in the united states and we have an austerity based healthcare system and oh yeah and fight for healthcare and fight for the ones there a very own existence, it's a, it is a point of pride for me to get older.
1: Particularly was, your, was your disability something that the when you were born or your baby, were the doctors like concerned about your life expectancy? Did they do that thing or like, oh, we think you might
0: live to this. We think you might live to here. Uh, no, that at, at least as far as it's been communicated to me, that was not the issue. The issue, uh, and again, I was a baby at the time, so this is coming through uh, family mythology and everything. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, where my uh, mother has said multiple times that the doctor says that, you know, he has a severe uh, disability, but if you look at his, at his eyes, you can see a twinkle. So it's your job as a parent to do everything for him as a baby that he cannot do for himself. So this means... Uh, and she goes on and on and on about the fact that, you know, bringing me toys and letting me taste everything that I could possibly put in my mouth because that is a developmental stage and so yeah. and things of this nature. So, no, it's just a personal point of pride to be able to survive. But um, back to your general question, because you'll also find that I, I tend to talk a lot. And so you're going to have to rein me in, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is a long-form podcast, so feel free to just talk then. It's fine.
0: But um, so uh, I think a lot about being a kid with a with, uh, disability and what it would have uh, um, been like, you know, talking to my uh, younger self, things that I wish that people had done to make my life easier. And so I, one of the things that immediately jumps to my mind are uh, condom catheters.
1: So I I was not expecting us to go right there, but all right, we're there. Okay, let's go.
0: So I know that you have had a complex history with uh, catheterization. Yes, very much so, very much so. Um, And so because I was incredibly dependent on other people to do everything for me, um, when I was younger particularly, I would restrict my um, water intake, fluid Me too. intake. too. Oh my God, this is my, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No, because if you don't drink, you don't have to pee. And if you don't have to pee- It's
1: great have. when nobody has to help you. It's amazing for a little bit.
0: Yes, it's fantastic. And then they're like, you're really super dehydrated. Your blood is too thick. You need to do all of these things. And I'm saying uh, to myself, well, how can I do this? Because like- uh, back then and still to this day I was I was using uh, you know um, uh, bedside urinals I, I use lots of urinals throughout the day I, in this apartment where we're currently I'm currently speaking to you from I had something like 15 uh, different urinals wow. wow I have two
1: um <laughs> I have so many questions as to like okay, why do you have 15?
0: why? Okay, why do I have 15? Because my hands are bitches and they tend to drop things. And so uh, <laughs> I have to have them in easy access. So Fair enough, fair enough. Makes sense. Yep, got it. And so then, but um, the whole point is the reason I, I bring up condom catheters is when I was very young, and when I say very young, I'm t- the 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, I, you would have the social worker come out and constantly tell you, well, you know, you qualify for common catheters. And I don't know what your headspace was at 10, 11, or 13, theme, but being told that you know you could use a catheter as a kid and having sort of the stereotypes of what that is and what, and not wanting to appear disabled, which thankfully I've gotten over. Um, that was a stage, right? Uh, I'm disabled as fuck and I don't care who uh, knows that right now. But th- when you're a kid, that's a hard leap to make. And yeah. so they, uh, they would say things like, well, you know, it will make um, your parents' life easier, your age life easier. Don't, like, don't you wanna make your family e- uh, easier? And like, uh, this is gonna sound terrible, but you cannot say that to a 10 year old shit you have to reframe it they shouldn't said it. it will make your life easier you will be in less pain. it will be so much lovelier for you to be able to drink. yeah i'm i'm really-
1: I, I would be, i would have been really concerned the, but but i would have also if I, when it, if it were me at 10 11 12 13 getting the catheter, and they said do you want to make your parents life easier i would have i would have relented and immediately been like, yeah, you know, yes, I do. Yes, I will. Sure, whatever I have to do to be the good, disabled person.
0: Well, see, there's the difference between the two of us. I can fully admit that my younger self, as part of my rebellion and wanting to be uh, my own self, was like, I am going to do whatever I can to be as independent as possible, even if that means putting my body in... Um, shitty circumstances. Yeah. So, yes, I, part of me, um, I, I mean, I would hope that the, the discourse or the way that we talk about these things has shifted, but ultimately like I, it's part of, of, you know, focusing for me on the disabled patient or person in the center and not making it so that they have to perform labor for other people. Because we already have to do that. Oh. Of course, or to appease somebody else. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm going to jump around to a question that I, that, and this is not in order of what I wrote down, but I'm just going to, I want I just, because I've been curious since I was reading the, since I was reading your form yesterday, getting ready for this. I want to know, tell me about, now I refer to myself as a power chair top, physically, but mm-hmm. emotionally, I'm a fucking bottom and I want to get railed. So, so I, I would love to know from you, David, what has the experience of being a disabled bottom been like for you? So uh,
0: just as a point of clarification, uh, I'm all, I, am, I like to think of myself as both, which is to say I enjoy both very much. However, as I've gotten older and I have sort of begun to... Uh, think about those things that bring me pleasure. I want to explore being the receptive partner, being the bottom more often, which can be difficult for a couple of reasons, which we will get into. Um, so Let's break it down. Let's break it down. What are, what are, why do you, why is it, would
1: it be difficult for you to bottom?
0: So ultimately, firstly, like my um, legs um, are, when I'm naked, my legs, as I would like to say, um, our very camp uh, Auschwitz chic, and so that um, is a moment where people look at my legs because they are so thin and so tiny. Um, they, they they assume that they are going to hurt me, and so they basically my uh, the, a lot of my partners have not been comfortable. Taking on that role because they assume that they are going to incontrovertibly hurt me or break me or put me in the hospital, which ultimately is um, very, very much a, a self-serving compliment on their part. And so it's a hard. Sometimes it's hard to get them to uh, to even want to attempt it. Um, the other reason that um, uh, I have come to this realization is that, well, as I like to put it on my, in my Tinder conversations, I had cerebral palsy, which means that um, I uh, have, uh, or let me see, what was it that I wrote last week? Yes, I have cerebral palsy, which means two of my legs don't work.
1: <laughs> are, you, are you suggesting that your penis is a third leg? Well, not quite a
0: third thing. It's not the biggest that I've ever seen. But what happens is that a lot of people, when it gets to that stage of the conversation, uh, want to, uh, their eyes get really, really big and they uh, want me to talk, Um, which is fun, it's lovely. But ultimately, you know, um, it's very much, I have had the experience where they only want me to talk and trying to convince someone to do something that they don't want to do first of all is hard second of all ethically icky and so i'm not yep. interested in doing that and so it, it for me a uni- the unicorn would be to find someone who is also versatile who's also you know interested in doing all of the things like me and so i have th- had a few uh um, what you call it? Uh, experiences that are great and fantastic, and I hope to have uh, some more in the future. And then, of course, most uh, logistically challenging because we—I don't walk, and I um, have a, uh, a fucked-up bowel system. Basically, yeah, me
1: too. We're basically the same person. It's fine. I understand. 100%. Don't worry. <laughs> well.
0: For me, if I want to bottom, I basically can't eat for two days. Oh, no. And so <laughs> that is how that works. But it's, you know, it depends. It's like you're making a cost-benefit analysis in your brain. Like, is this person hot enough that I want to have this experience? Or can Actually, I... Actually, you're making a
1: cost-benefit analysis because you have to decide if you really if they're really worth fucking. So yes. it's cost benefit analysis yes no one got my weird pun all right (laughs) um so tell me tell me tell me about uh just more of the just more of the bottoming story like what are the what were some of the good experiences you had because i've never bottomed yet so i don't know what
0: at all so um first of all uh i have a whole lot of disability related tech and so, like, ultimately, I have had people uh, show up, see what the um, circumstances of my bedroom apartment look like, and then turn around and walk out the door because yeah. Yeah. Uh, they get uh, freaked out by, uh, by uh, all of the extra accoutrement I have. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, like, ultimately, you know, first they have to have past the... Uh, their eyes test a uh, lot. Have I seen the whites of their eyes? If not, we can proceed to step two. Um, and in that case, um, I have uh, used all of my technology for uh, sexy carnal purposes, uh, including so I have a low air loss mattress, um, which uh, is on top of. A hospital-style bed, with which is a, tra- uh, a and as a trapeze, and so it is really lovely to be able to use the trapeze to uh, rotate myself uh, onto my stomach. And in fact, uh, that it's a bit of physical therapy for me because the um, first time I
1: wouldn't your OT be so pleased, your OT and PT be so pleased to know that. Fucking fucking a dude or getting fucked by a dude is actually great OT for you. Well, That's...
0: Absolutely, I mean here's the thing. Um, when I, I so I've also been sexually active. I think for about a year and a half.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, well, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. Um, Well, I've got a lot of uh, boxes ticked. I've ticked a lot of boxes, and but ultimately, the first time that I uh, bottomed. Was also the first time that I've been on my stomach in over six years. So that was a yay.
1: Oh, wow. So that's, that's, that you literally was PT for you <laughs>
0: again. And um, also, I have used my um, patient lift um, as a sex swing, and that was so much fun. Um, Amazing. I, I, just tell me that story. Okay. So just functionally, um, so I have a, a, uh, a lift called a sure hands lift it is a lift that does not use a sling it okay. uses a body support so it comes down like one of those claw gains and clamps around your uh, uh, waist and then you can go up and down and you uh, it won't drop you because if you end up slipping all it does is it gets tighter and tighter and so I've had it now for I think four or five years and I always feel safe that I could sit in it for uh, a long time and it wouldn't uh, hurt so ultimately what that means is that when one is in the mood um, and if you have a partner that is tall enough um, then um, it is very easy to be naked in the uh lift, and that gives a partner access to all the important bits and bobs. And then all you need is uh lots of lube and uh, uh, a willing partner.
1: That sounds fun. Uh, yeah. um, that's awesome. uh. I don't know how to segue out of that one, but I'm just going to try. Um, so you, the very first thing you put on your form when I sent you the form and you sent it back to me, the very first thing I saw when I was looking at it yesterday was you mentioned that you're kinky, which which just from talking to you now, I definitely figured out. But uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about what it was like to accept your kinks as a disabled person and what are your kinks and how does your disability help you or hinder you from accessing them?
0: Okay, so um, I'm about to get theoretical here for a moment because you will find that I often do that. Um, I am someone who sees theory in most anything, right? And so for me, it, it's a political act, which is to say that it is an act of self-love to be able to say to oneself that yes, my disability looks different or makes my body look different and function different. and uh, do things differently, but that doesn't mean that my disabled body is uh, anything other than sexy and lovely, and I have a lot to offer a partner. And so I found myself exploring King, because initially, I, when I decided that I had enough of being alone, I wanted to dip my uh, toes into the sexual pool, so to speak, I went on to Tinder. And ultimately uh, what happened with that is that, you know, I, would, I was having a lot of conversations with guys and because I have, a, if I do say so for myself, a facility with the English language, um, I have the capacity, I had the capacity to uh, engage in lots and lots and lots and lots of dirty talk. Um And then I discovered that... that wow, was all... you,
1: sound, you sound quite polished. I'm so curious to know what the dirty talk is.
0: <laughs> it has a lot to do with double entendre and, <laughs> and coolness and things of the stage. But I can also be blunt and bored and say things like, oh, I, I want to talk and talk and do all of these things. And with the trapeze, it actually is lovely to be able to get leverage and then just go to town for hours, which is another thing the trapeze allows for that people don't realize. Um, Because all I need to um, be exceptionally oral is leverage. Yay! Yay. So the point is that that works uh, wonders. But ultimately, I, I was discovering that a lot of people uh, just want to get online to not be alone, which and to say like, um, okay, that was fun. I'm never going to do it in reality with you. And so like the first couple of times that this happened was psychologically crushing as you might imagine. Yeah, been there um, myself. So yeah, totally. But, you know, I'm at the point now where, you know, r- role play online can be fun. And if yeah. that is what someone wants to do, I'm perfectly fine with that. They just have to be upfront with me so that I don't go in with expectations. And and so ultimately though, I was getting sick of not having any in real life experiences. Of course. And so I, I'd also, I was getting sick of having to explain the disability over and over and over and over and over. And then people being like, oh, what's that? And then not talking to me for uh, however long. despite that, like, you're looking at me right now, you can see the headrest behind me.
1: There's no way that I can't tell you're disabled. (laughs) So
0: ultimately, like, initially, I just had photos like this where I'm in the chair and Headrest is behind me. And yet over and over and over and over and over, people
1: would say, oh, I had no idea you were in the chair. I'm like, bitch, look at this headrest. <laughs> bitch, it's right there. My headrest is right there. No, completely, you're right. And I agree with you. Um, And I know how hard it is to try to navigate the ableism when you also just want to get off with somebody and you also just want to have those moments, whether or not it's like your, your boyfriend's tomorrow or you're like, or you're like, you know, you end up being friends, sometimes you just want to get on there and do whatever else is doing and fuck. And I can I can imagine that you having to decide to pick role play instead of having an in-person thing, well, it, yes, it is fun. I can see how frustrating that would be.
0: Yes, and I mean, you know, you have... Uh... Uh, roleplay spiced up by pictures, which is
1: being able to... And video and, like, you know, chatting, whatever. That's just nice. But at the end of the day, I want to put a dick in my mouth, and if I can't do that, why are we talking again?
0: Yes, or I want to... be around people naked because I didn't have that experience growing up. And so that's part of what's so fun about sex now, right? Is being able to have these experiences that I didn't have before. And so being able to, and people don't get that how exciting it is for someone who has a disability to be seen as a uh, sexual object. And so like, part of me is like, I don't mind being objectified at all. <laughs> and so... <laughs> no, I <don't> no.
1: <laughs> but I get that though. I'm in, the, I'm in the same boat as you. I feel oftentimes like, as long as you respect my what my needs are and you don't actually hurt me, then I'm, I'm down to try anything because it's so rare we get to try stuff and be... Included in these conversations or these communities where kink is happening or where um, you know dirty shits happening, a lot of our sex will be often, sometimes out of obligation. People will come because they feel bad for us and they want to like please us, which doesn't serve me very well. Like I want to fuck and I want to be I want to be the slut that I am inside, but I don't want you to do it out of out of any obligation. I want you to do it because you genuinely want to fuck me and not because you feel like you should want to be there
0: yes or not because you think that you're tossing me a pity fuck um oh I've been there I've been I've been there everybody that oh. listens to the show knows I've been there uh, oh yes I know I that was how I initially reached out to you over two years ago with the episode you did on your first sexual experience was it that long and am I such an asshole that it's taken us this long to do I'm so sorry. I so We are fine. We all get busy. I understand. And I'm just I'm just happy to be having this conversation. Well, I'm
1: glad it's happening now. This is good. This is important. Um, so but let's go back to like the, the crux of that question. What are your kinks? So um
0: I instead of going through a long and exhaustive like, uh list, I will say That it is far easier to say the things that my boundaries, right? So I don't do intentional scat play. I don't do blood
1: play. (laughs) I'm giggling because you said you don't do intentional scat play. And that's only funny because my bowels also fucked up. So I fully understand why you well, yeah. I
0: mean like gay sex is gay sex. And like I don't understand these people that think that a little bit of fickle matter is the end of the world. Like literally, I have sat in my bed um because aids have not shown up in, in my own shit for two days
1: before two so, da- what excuse me hold on wait there's like there's things i have to uncover here two days <laughs> excuse me but is not like a it's nothing like, like a
0: attendant care violation isn't there some sort of like and I'm, I'm no longer with that agency or with that aid but the Good. point is, is that be, people with disabilities have to deal with literal figurative shit every single day. Yeah. And so, like, I have a high um, boundary for, you know, things that are quote-unquote acceptable. I'm not going to kick you out of bed if an accident should happen, but it's not something that I intentionally seek out because... Oh, my next can't. question
1: is, when are we hooking up?
0: <laughs> oh, I would do it in the five second. I have seen your Mister. <laughs> <orchestra>, so... <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, and as I flirt with David, let's. <laughs> it's okay, you're into. You're not into scat play. What else you're not into?
0: I'm not into uh, uh, anything dealing with blood. Okay, uh, fair. And I'm not into anything dealing with extreme pain. Okay. Uh, and or kids, or animals, which is. yeah but those are those are less kinks and more like just hard
1: boundaries that totally make sense
0: yeah i'm all right with that you would be surprised at the kinds of things that you can find on the internet or maybe not oh the internet is a scary place but
1: (laughs) what we're saying is and large trigger warning we're not we're not i am not making a joke about any kind of horrible wrong thing i'm saying that these are good things to have as boundaries yeah and so those
0: are my boundaries So that would leave, that leaves, that leaves. Quite the the smorgasbord, or as I like to say, the charcuterie of options. The char... Because Because you enjoy charcuterie, because charcuterie refers to uh, meat.
1: (laughs) What? Hilarious. Um, Um... I'm very funny, you will find that. Yeah, no, I know. I, I figured that from the second we started talking, I was like, oh, okay. I know, I know exactly what kind of person David is. Um, um, so, and how, okay. So let, let me flip that question a bit. Don't give me the exhaustive list of all the things you like, but tell me your favorite kink and how your disability
0: plays into that. Okay, so... um. I would have to say that again, this has to do with the theoretical and and political and practical implications of it. The absolute favorite thing for me is exhibitionism because I really like the, um, uh, when you're with a person for the first time and they realize that, uh, oh, this is a sexual being who is down to have fun. And that for most people, unfortunately, most able-bodied people, I can physically see the click in their eyes when they realize that. And that ultimately is a power move for me. When they realize
1: that you're fuckable. Yeah. 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 I, I've been there myself with several people and, and you know, I love, I love having them say to me stuff like, oh really enjoyed that. I didn't think that I would like it like that, or it's, you know, it was different than I expected it to be, but I still got off, offer, I enjoyed myself. Um, so, uh, yes, I, um,
0: there's a story uh, to go uh, with this that is very not safe for work, but I think you'll, uh, you will enjoy this. So, okay. so uh, it must've been early on, just before the uh, pandemic, um, Happened, and, uh, or at least uh, everything began to shut down here uh, just before uh, you know everything uh, shifted. So, like January, and February last year, yeah. yeah. And ultimately, um, so we were having—I uh, was having a small get-together of friends, and uh, one of my friends brought another friend whom I was not um, aware of, uh, or I, I had not met him. Uh, he was a cute. Uh, boy, however. And so being a cute boy and being the the ethical slut that I am, um, I uh, was just ogling him all night, um, trying to screw up my courage to go ask him to do something. And so they went, uh, he went into another room, they were playing video games, um, or or whatever. And ultimately, he came out um, because he was interested to see if um, I, because uh, my friend at this point had mentioned the fact that, you know, he he likes, Rick is this friend, and uh, Rick liked to joke around um, that my PhD was on porn, sex, and disability, which is not exactly true, but that not is... entirely untrue either. It's not untrue, let's put it that way. Right. Um, and I mean, I could go uh, in depth into what my actual scholarly work is, because I'm I'm very vivified by that. But let's set that aside for a second. Um, and so ultimately, this guy came out and he uh, was coyly mumbling something and I couldn't figure out uh, what it was. So I asked him to speak up and finally said, can I see your dick? Um, because uh Uh, Rick says that it's not small. And so I uh, then went into my bedroom back here um, and I showed it to him. And his eyes physically uh, widened. And so he came over and he played with it for a bit. And um, part of me is kicking myself that I didn't, you know, invite him to do more because then he he went out uh, and went back to uh, playing uh, video games.
1: Did you feel... Now, you know, having some, now having someone, even if you're ogling them, having them just walk in and be like, yo, can I see your dick? Did you feel at all, like, concerned as a disabled person that, like, that's not really how you...
0: Well, ultimately, you know, I, I'm Fuck him. getting older and being a, uh, with a disability, you learn to read people. You learn to trust your gut, as it were. And so I've been lucky in the sense that I have never intentionally put myself in a dangerous situation or felt in danger. But that is in part because of, you know, usually all the prep work that one does. And I have a stun gun in here as well. Um, so that's not an issue. I like <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Do you actually have a stun gun in there? Yes. Wow.
1: Wow. Don't fuck with David.
0: World. I am uh, someone who prepares. I'm a planner. That is what He's like- coming for you. Guns hot. Wow. <laughs> but the point here is that um, I, at the moment that it happened, I was nervous because no one ever asked me to do that. And this was at the beginning of my sexual exploration, uh, uh, my uh, walkabout, if you will, despite the fact that I don't walk. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, there's um, no walking happening. More like an undulating role. Um, trying to watch me take my pants off for one thing. That's very much an undulating roll. Yes, yes. But the point here, is that I was excited. It was very much, it was hot. It was, uh, you know, heart beating, heart firming sort of thing. And so, yes, I, um, that was the moment where I'm like, oh, this feels good. Let's do more of this.
1: That's exciting.
0: Uh, and so I'm curious
1: what kind of gentlemen or gentle thems or all the, everything in between do you entertain at your abode? So I am
0: not very picky, right? So the one thing that I am completely upfront about is my disability because like, I cannot hide this. I cannot make excuses for it. I cannot, it affects the way that I have sex. So in order for me to have good pleasurable sex, my partners have to know about it. And so um, ultimately, Uh, The thing that turns me on uh, most is the capacity to carry on a conversation, because most of my encounters always begin uh, with a conversation, because that's how, as a person with a disability, I have found, you know, being able to gauge someone, are they squirrely, are they able to uh, put two and two together, all these things, so if if a person can carry on a conversation, if a person can I know everything or enough about my uh, disability to not run shrieking into the night. And increasingly, if that person is also kinky. I'm giggling because you've
1: given me like seven possible quotes for this episode, seven possible titles for this episode. And I'm trying to figure out in my head as you're talking, which one I want to use. And I, st- I we've been talking for an hour now and I have I still have no fucking clue what, which one to use. So <laughs> let's just keep going. Um, <laughs> Um, Amazing. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about, let me just pull up my questions here. Tell me, you said something about um, the daily pains you have around disability. And I liked liked this, that you brought this up because we know what disability pain feels like, but many people who don't live with chronic pain or chronic illness or disability like ours don't understand what this pain looks like, it feels like. Can you describe yours? Okay,
0: so I think that was an oblique reference to the fact that I mentioned that I masturbate a lot for pain relief, um, which is true. um, And we can perhaps get into that. Uh, But ultimately, so I do have cerebral palsy. um, But the thing that uh, most affects my life on a day-to-day basis is that when I was uh, 17, I had this thing called an anterior spinal fusion, which basically they, they fused my spine from the top of the spine all the way down because I had a 65 degrees scoliosis curve. And so what that basically meant is that my spine was in the sea and it was the the spines of my spine, the spurs of the spine were in danger of puncturing my lung. And so- Ooh, I was, we have the same
1: trajectory. That's literally what happened to me. Yes, got it. Yes.
0: So you see that this is part of the reason that I've been wanting to talk for so long because it's like, we have so many similar experiences. But um, that is, uh, so because of all that, and because of the fact that the scoliosis was brought on by my uh, muscles and the doctors were concerned that if they took out all of that armature, that my muscles would begin to cave in and pull on the bones again. I have all of that inside my back. And what that means is two titanium rods, 27 screws, and three feet of surgical wire in um, my back currently, which functions that I'm not very physically flexible. I have to make it up by being, you know, mentally flexible and capacious And um, and kinky. But um, that is the thing that um, fucks up my life the most because it's, sen- it's sensitive to, you know, temperature changes. It's sensitive to the rain. Uh, rain it's sensitive to any sudden movements um, and this kind of thing. And so I, that is, you know, and, and most often it is an ever present throbbing sort of pain. I um, used to, well, when I first came home from a hospital, because of the surgery, as you know, they have to cut so much, um, through so much muscle and nerve um, that I still have very spotty feeling in my back. And so depending on the area, it's either hypersensitive to pain or I can feel nothing at all. Um, or, and some middle spots. So it's, it's a cornucopia. Of sensation back there um, and so like sometimes i will uh uh you know think that something is wrong with the the um uh, what do you call it uh, metal inside of me like it's breaking or it's shifted or whatever um and i'll have a panic attack from that because of course the whole prospect of having that gigantic surgery again is terrifying and then I, but then I will sort of breathe through that and be like, it's probably nothing. It's probably a fork. And every time that that happens, it's it's been either a fork knives, rocks. I don't know. Basically, be sleeping on top of things that are not comfortable. Um, but because of the way that my back is, I can't physically tell what it is. <laughs>
1: Fun. That sounds like. But I definitely agree with you. The prospect of those. And I had that big surgery at 16. I remember what it was like. Yeah. It is not one that you want to go through again.
0: It is not something you're like ready to do again. Of um, course. I so. mean, there, I would do it again if I had to, because I can breathe better and because I have an extended lifespan and I grew five inches overnight. Um, wow. However, there is there was only one downside to having a C-curve in one's spine. One guess as to what that... Um, Downside of not being able to bend anymore is
1: you—you uh, you couldn't jerk off anymore. You couldn't.
0: No, not jerk off. You couldn't. <laughs> enlighten me. Suck off. So, um, I, that was the, the first time I, um, actually, uh, uh, experimented with that was on myself because I, my curve was so severe that I could actually do that.
1: You can't see the... The audience cannot see the face I'm making, but my 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 jaw literally shifted. Oh no! <laughs> That's a, I think what <laughs> I am. Um, I didn't realize you could do that. I didn't realize people actually did that or tried to do that. I mean, I've well, seen it I saw the porn. Uh, uh, let's be serious. <laughs> you and you do. I mean, I, do that. I, I've thought about I have, but I have never thought about myself doing it. But, but, Well, part of me is sad for you, then, that the scoliosis, the rods made you unable to do that for yourself.
0: Well, it's it's all right, though, because my hands are perfectly able, I'm lucky in that sense, to be able to engage in other moments of self-pleasure, which I do a lot as well, because, like, it it releases, you know, all the good... Lovely, um, Endorphins. Sense, yeah. yeah, it's over pain and it's lovely. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I first, I think discovered this um, because I uh, spent a lot of time in the hospital which is fairly common drop. we spent a lot of time in the hospital and realizing this is sort of like, oh, I have a, a, a joy button quite literally. And the nurses won't be
1: back for two hours. I'm just going to um, hang out with myself for a little bit. Yeah, no, no, I've been there myself for sure. Um, what other areas of your body, other than your rods? <laughs>
0: rod sounds like such a weird thing yes. to say now, now well, that I know. I love to also say that uh, because of the surgery, I permanently have, I'm sitting on a rod too, in fact. Uh, what I would give to sit on a rod, what I would give. Um, but
1: what uh, what other experiences of, disability pain can you speak to?
0: So, uh, you know, uh, we, uh, you also, I think, um, will deal with the fact that, you know, I, um, I have a lot of issues. Well, that, that is a a strong word, but I have a lot of experience with bowel issues. And so being able to, uh, to not being able to get on the toilet on my own, like dealing with that dealing with the the sort of sharpness of having to take a shit and not being able to um, that is physically painful after a point which i'm sure you're aware of oh i'm believe me it's happening to me right as we record this
1: so i fully understand yes um um yeah and i mean i that, that can be really hard when you can't access when you can't access something as simple as that by yourself having to you know, try to be
0: okay with it and not feel that pain and be comfortable is really hard. Yep. And being like, um, this is just the way life is, because you're living in independently and the state will not give you more hours than what you currently have. So you, you got, just fuck it up and deal with it.
1: It's tough. It's tough. Um tell me a little bit more about your experience with Crypt Desire. Because you only started fucking around a year and a half ago, which which you know for a seasoned whore like myself feels uh, feels mm-hmm. feels quite new still how does this how does all of that play into your idea your idea and understanding of crypt desire
0: well i mean crypt desire is very 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 important to me um because it, it, it in part it is um a claim that people with uh disability can be sexual right but that that also means that people with disabilities can be desirable and that we do not need to be fixed or cured or made better in um, uh, certain ways. Now, of course, this argument has nuance and I don't want to say that there isn't uh, the lived reality of pain. And I don't want to say that medicine and therapies don't help because they absolutely do. Of course, But access to those therapies and those methodologies and those uh, procedures should not, the end goal should not be to make a body more normal because normality, the idea of that which is normal is a fucking construct. There yeah. is no such thing as normal. And so the whole idea for uh, for me um, about Crypt Desire is very much uh, building out of uh, a whole bunch of theoretical people uh, namely, one of them is uh, Robert McGrew and crypt theory and of that nature. And basically, the whole point is to say that we should stop fixating on making the people who are disabled more uh, non-disabled. Instead, we should learn from the strategies that people with disabilities uh, make, because they make the world more equitable for everyone. And so ultimately Crip Desire is about recognizing that as people with disabilities, we have a well of lived experience that we can share with the world to make the world more equitable if people would just listen to us, which is all about platforming and and politics therein, things of this nature. But ultimately it's about the idea that um, there is no one perfect body, the desire to be uh, more fit, more um, more uh, athletic, more uh, beautiful, more masculine, all of this uh, stems from the same anxiety, right? That we as uh, individuals are not enough. And so uh, I don't know if you've read um, uh, Pleasure Activism. by. Uh, I have, I have, yes. Yes, and so she, in it she talks about the, the idea of satisfiability, and so like the, the very basic idea here is that we, as people with bodies born into the world, should find ways to seek pleasure and to be satisfied with those bodies that we already have, because personally, Um, I am of the belief that there is at least one attractive thing about each and everybody in this world. Okay. All right. Let's play that game (laughs) because I'm bored. What? uh, Not bored.
1: You're not not bored. I love what we're doing. I'm just just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not not bored. You're amazing. What I'm saying is let's play that game. Um, Okay. What about yourself do you think is desirable?
0: Okay. So there is the cheap and easy answer, right? Which is to say, that I have never at the top had complaints, but ultimately, you know, it's cliche as a gay man to talk about one's genitals. So um, ultimately I like to think that I really deeply enjoy my brain because I have um, fixated on it and invested so much in it that I think I have Good and useful things to share with the world. So it's uh, the two brains, so to speak, are what I am um, interested in. Or, yeah. And then, if I was to switch that around a little bit,
1: since you said there's something attractive about everyone, what would you say is attractive about me? Okay,
0: so um, I uh, love the fact that you are committed to uh, a. Uh, project of uh, access and also that you are willing to admit your mistakes and you are willing to always be in a learning posture as an academic to be uh, very soon that is incredibly attractive to be able to be endowed with someone who recognizes that they don't know everything but is willing to listen and in this particular moment you are doing exactly that which is to say listening to me, and that is powerful.
1: Oh, well, thank you, I appreciate that. I, you know, I <laughs> I was hoping you would talk more about the porn, no, I'm kidding. Um, but no- um,
0: well, We can talk about the porn if you want to talk about the porn. But oh I, no,
1: I, I, I lost your view. So I think your camera fell down a little bit because you were there a second ago and then- Yes,
0: uh, the camera um, ended. I am so sorry about that, but unfortunately I don't have access to it at the moment, but you can still hear me, yes?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, it's all fine, it's all fine. Um, no, 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 well, thank you so much for letting me know what you think is attractive about me, I appreciate that, um, and you know, I, I, in this work and on this show and all the stuff that I do, I am not 100% right all the time. I have said and done things in my attempt to, you know, champion disability, sexuality, that it is hasn't been super well received. And so I'm always learning. And so I think we in in disability spaces, and this is me going off on a tangent, but I think we have our communities have a lot of work to do within each other to start to respect each other and value each other. And that I think is really attractive. And I think us in disability spaces need to do more of that. Yes. Um, uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on today, David, that we haven't touched on yet?
0: So, um, well, ultimately, like I could talk forever about the things that uh, we have already talked about. But ultimately, I I just am very, very, very passionate about disability and sexuality. um, And it takes, it um, forms a large portion of the work that I'm currently doing. Uh, And I will share something with you that I have not shared with um, very many people.
1: Ooh, exclusive. uh,
0: Which is to say that, uh, I mean, my uh, eventual desire, hopefully, is to get onto the academic market and be a uh, shining um, uh, sort of star, sexy star that talks about kink and disability and porn. and. Disability porn specifically, which is another one of my topics, which we could—it's that's another conversation. But ultimately, um, what I really, really like, my, one of my dreams after I get PhD would be to build a traveling workshop that um, deals with uh, disability and sexuality, particularly for um, people with uh, disability who are queer in some way and particularly uh, who are um, because we can naturally assume that people with disabilities who are queer unless you are it's an outlier to get a well-informed sexual education so uh, it was embarrassingly uh, late in life for example that I realized that there is a reason that gay men use lube Um, And so like the fact that I know as an individual with disability who happens to be terribly, terribly gay, that I cannot um, be the only one who um, has experienced that or realized that. And so being able to sort of, uh, the idea would be to build a a workshop that invites people with disabilities who are explicitly uh, queer, because again, that is my um, lived experience to engage in these conversations and to uh, have a, a moment of, of consciousness with raising, and then maybe possibly having a kicky after party because of that. But, uh, you know, who knows? Ha-
1: have you had the experience of sleeping with a, another GIMP yet?
0: Uh, not yet, but that that would be that is definitely on my dream list of, and sometimes. Uh, Andrew, I, I, um, I get so fed up with able-bodied people that I just, I want to uh, write them off completely and say, fuck it, I'm only fucking and being fucked by uh, people with disabilities from now on. But unfortunately, uh, you know, that uh, doesn't actually work. And, you know, you get over it.
1: Yeah, but I, I definitely imagine the frustration and all the ableism that we have to deal with when we're trying to access sexuality. So I see where it comes from. Um I I see it a bit differently and then I, I would I I think that it's my opportunity to teach the hot able bodied people that I want to fuck that like disability can be hot. Let me show you as I fuck you how hot it is. Um, but I I definitely understand what you're saying. And I I have only slept with one disabled person in my whole life, and I'd love to change that at some point. So I understand totally how you're feeling. Um, David Adelman, this was such a fun conversation we had today. We went everywhere. We went to all the corners that I didn't think we'd go, but I had a good time. Thank you so much for coming on
0: today. You're most welcome. It's been a lovely conversation, and I've been looking forward to it.
1: I'm really glad it finally happened, and I'm so sorry that it took two years. Wow! Uh, <laughs> see, this is what happens, guests. I disability happens, and then sometimes I forget that people have to like slowly nudge me again and be like, "Hey, remember that time I said I want to be in your show?" So if you're listening and I've done that to you, nudge me again, and we'll find a way to have you on. <laughs> sorry, Brad, but David Adelman, how can the people get a hold
0: of you? So I have a website that contains all of my work from uh, the academic to the not so academic to, if you want to reach out to me on social media, the website is www.davidadelman, my first and last name dot work. That is my website. You can reach out and contact me and and keep up with me there.
1: Nice. I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes. Uh, David and I had such a good time today. Thank you for being so vulnerable and so honest and so real about your experiences. And of course, for shining a bright light on what a fucking kinky cripple you are. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for that today. And we'll talk to you very soon. All right. Thanks. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your... Disabled Daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, at Andrew Gerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.AndrewGerza.com, to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash dark, or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.